Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, welcome to episode 116 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. Coachy, how's it going? Hi, Rich. Good to be here, man. Hey, you know, we're having this big, uh, like, Microsoft offsite for a bunch of people in DX, and it feels weird not having you here. I guess it's, you know, it, this is, a, like, a corporate DX thing, but uh just doesn't feel the same having a, a, a gathering without you here. <laughs> Mate, I have to tell you, um, if, if I've got a choice between going to Redmond in February and not going to Redmond in February, I'll usually choose the latter. Man, Much as I'd love to see you guys. We've had two days of sunshine, so... So uh, I understand. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was chatting to someone this morning. One of my one of my one of my RDs is over there at the moment doing some uh, doing some cool stuff with the Windows team, and he said that uh, like he looked out the window and the sky was blue and people were shrinking away from the yellow the yellow monster. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it sometimes it happens. Uh, <laughs> well, we we have a. I, I did happen to go and snag one of our our great thought leaders within um, in, in Microsoft for Office three sixty five development. He's been doing some great work with partners, um, we're going to, I've snagged him here and we're going to have him as our guest this week. But before that, um, I wanted to kind of go through some of the weekly updates. You know, last week we had a really, really busy week with updates. Uh, what, what, did, what are you seeing just in, like, uh, that's out there, Coatsy? Like the one thing that I just came across this week that, I, that I'm not positive how long it's been out there, but I, but I am very excited to see it, is the, um, the Office brand icons, which you can use in your apps, and they've been released as part of the UI fabric. And I'm going to put a link to that in the notes, but it's um, you know, all, of the, all of the various um, Office uh, um, uh, uh, apps have got icons, obviously, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, Outlook. But um, we've made them available for you to use inside your applications uh, and with a bunch of, brand, uh, a bunch of um, uh, guidelines about how to use them and, and a bunch of code about how to insert them for various, uh, various bits and pieces, including um, uh, um, uh, CDNs to make it easy to get at. Uh, so you can use, uh, you can use those. And it's, uh, it, it makes a big difference in people recognizing the sort of things that your application is going to do by having these easily recognizable, uh, quickly usable icons. Cool. Very cool. Um, I, in uh, other areas within Microsoft, I noticed nothing like super big, but you know we did have uh, there was an interesting post on dev.office.com about Developer Week event. Um, it's a, a meetup in in San Francisco, so if you're kind of in that area and you're interested in you know maybe participating in a, a weekend hackathon, learn more about what we're doing around Office Dev. Uh, definitely check that out. Um, beyond that, uh, Vesa and the PNP team they have a, an update. Uh, well, not an update, but they have their uh, weekly web webcast posted, and we'll make sure we have an update for that. Um, uh, in the blogosphere, I'll just kind of run through a bunch of these, and then we'll get to our, our interview. Uh, Ilio Struff, who is always really popular, he did a, a cool blog post about how to define add-in commands in um, uh, Outlook in an Outlook module. So, um, obviously, that is actually the our, our recommended guidance now for add-ins is to actually do it through add-in commands. And so um, it's cool to see Elio uh, doing some information around that. Um, the SPCAP team, so the Rencore guys, uh, did a post on how to avoid the five most common SharePoint customization mistakes. Believe me, SharePoint, it, I feel like it's like the booby trap of platforms out there. 
Uh, there's lots lots of ways you can do things wrong. So um, and the SP CAF guys, there's really no uh, group of individuals, you know, outside of maybe Microsoft that have a stronger hold of, of how customization should happen. So right, every, um, every time I talk to customers and partners, this is the sort of stuff they want to know. What are the what are the booby traps that I can avoid by using someone else's uh, uh, knowledge and experience? And particularly, you guys at Microsoft, seeing as you wrote it and use it all the time, what is it that we should be doing, and how should we be doing it to make sure that our development experience is as as uh, as friction free as possible? Yep, yep. Um, a couple, uh, last few here. Uh, we, we talked about Julie Turner's post last week. Uh, she was a new kind of blogger on our uh, blog role, but um, and she was doing that whole series on extending SharePoint with ADAL and the Microsoft Graph. Uh, she has a new uh, part to that series, so we'll have a link to that. Definitely check that out if you're interested in that full series. And then finally, another one by Elio is um, get the site URL of an Office 365 group via the Microsoft Graph. And I actually haven't, I haven't looked at what he's doing here, but I'm wondering if he's using the what-if endpoint of the Microsoft Graph. Right. Um, because that tells you kind of the actual query plan that uh, is used. But uh, So this is one I'm going to definitely go and read in a little bit more detail. But um, definitely check that out. I think that's an interesting concept of you know being able to, to go out and, and get that uh, specific Oh, I see he's going drive root web URL. So that's another cool approach to it. Uh, probably a little bit more strongly typed. Uh, but if any of those interest you, definitely check out the uh, the notes, and we'll make sure they're there. So cool. Hey, Rich, talk a little bit more about that what if um, part of the graph, because it's something that lots of people haven't come across, but it is really neat stuff. Yeah, you know, um, it's kind of a hidden gem. I don't know if it's more there for engineering's uh, purpose, but, you know, the graph is is a single endpoint that goes into all of our different products. And, in fact, behind the scenes, it really works as like a graph database uh, where you can traverse nodes, um, basically come in in one place, but then traverse other places. So a good example is I might go to me, and then I might traverse to a file that I have in OneDrive. So that's going from like directory data to OneDrive data. And then I might go even further to say, who was the last modified by user? And that's doing on a, another directory lookup. So you end up doing like behind the scenes, it's doing multiple queries. Well, if you add the, um, the dollar sign what if to any of your queries in the Microsoft Graph, so if you don't have any other query parameters, you need to do a question mark. But if you just add the what if command, It'll actually just show you behind the scenes what APIs were called. Um, so it'll show you the raw like SharePoint API that was called and the raw Outlook APIs or um, graph, uh, AD graph queries. So it's kind of a neat little debug tool. I, I don't know that it's a debug tool as much as just kind of a neat way of seeing the value of what the graph offers and its ability to traverse nodes. I think it's really neat because um, it points out, as you say, this unifying structure of the graph. Even I think I think even the me call has got a call to Exchange, potentially to SharePoint, and maybe to AD. You know, to find the various different bits and pieces that it, it displays in, in a full in a, in a full user uh, a user object returned. Yep. Yeah. So um, yeah, it certainly uh, it's certainly powerful when you start to look at making it more of a a, a pervasive part of applications you build, build because you can start taking advantage of all these different things. You don't have to go get new tokens. You don't have to 
figure out other endpoints. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of value behind that, and, and the what if certainly starts to pull back the covers a little bit and show you what's going on. I love it. Speaking of pulling back the covers, we've got quite an interesting guest this week. That, that, <laughs> that is an interesting oh, segue. On, on, on. <laughs> oh, come on, I, I spent a week with him in Colombo, so so it's um, so you know I feel like it's appropriate. What happens in Colombo stays in Colombo. <laughs> well, maybe it won't on this podcast. <laughs> for, for our listeners that are confused, we have a, um, one of our peers within Microsoft, Richard Hustons. Richard, this is kind of weird. We have multiple Richards. Yeah, hi, Richard. And hi, Andrew. Yes, nice, nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there's within Microsoft, they, well, specifically in my organization that works with developers all the time, you know, there's there's a, a, a handful of like really deep like 400 level guys that um, are kind of the go-to people, and, and uh, Andrew's one, and, and Richard, not me, um, is is well, I guess both of us probably. Yes, yeah, yeah, mate, don't, uh, don't sell yourself short. To yourself. But uh, we, uh, Rich, but Richard Custins certainly in that group, and and has been doing some really phenomenal work with partners. Um, and so I've, I've had the opportunity of speaking with Richard at conferences, and um, this is the first opportunity since he was here. In uh, you're, you're, Actually, why don't you start yeah, by giving yeah. us a little bit of your background and where you're from. You have, you have Is that accent Texan? Is that what I'm um, hearing? It can be, but um, I was actually doing some John Snow. John <laughs> Snow, sorry, and, and, and impressions today as well. But, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm in the DX team um, alongside um, your good selves. Um, I'm in the TED team as well. Um, my focus, though, is around, um, I, I look after global ISPs, so whereas you guys, um, and I know especially you, Richard, go deep in a particular technology with partners, um, I have um, a set amount of partners, so I have three partners I look after, um, and I work with those across that vertical, so I, I, all the technologies that they want to use within that vertical, I get to use all of that technology, be it Windows, be it here, be it Office 65, be it one of the areas that I do go deep on, though, as you say, is Office 365. So um, I was, um, for my sins, given the opportunity of working with the Office 365 extensibility um, roadmap and development tools, um, and I sort of made that my own within the team. Um, and as you say, I tend to now try and lead some of the partner initiatives that we have within the Tech GIS team. So quickly, for like, just so not everyone necessarily understands all of the different acronyms we throw out, when we talk about an ISV, an ISV is an independent software vendor. So it's like it's an organization yeah. that builds software for a living. Right? Yeah. They sell software. Um, how, how does, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, and, and I don't know uh, necessarily, but how does one be considered what we call a global ISV? So the global ISV, there are about 80 of them that we look after within commercial. Um, they are a set of partners that have a massive influence um, globally based on a particular technology. Or it could be that they're influential in terms of what they deliver in terms of digital transformation, for example. This company is going this direction in Azure, or this company is going this direction in Office 5. Therefore, bring them into the fold, get them using the new technologies, the technologies that we would have in Microsoft. And by virtue of those partners using those technologies, other partners will follow as well. So that's how, and, and they, these partners, we, we, we choose them on a yearly basis. Um, as I say, I have three partners, and one of them is going to be the one that we're going to be talking about today. Um, and, uh, you know, they are the influencers, I would suggest, within our group. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the partner we're talking about today, I was just in a, an engineering meeting where they had gone through and 
and identified, without any knowledge of like who DX works with, they identified some partners that they wanted to um, maybe work with around some new capabilities that were coming out. And, and the partner we're going to talk about today, Sage, yeah, was, Sage. was one of those. So they, they, when you talk about being influential, I think it's it's pretty clear when you get into some of these conversations. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, so just as a background, so I, I, I live in the UK. So although my team is based in Redmond, I actually live in the UK. I live in Newcastle. Um, now I actually live seven miles away from the Sage HQ. Oh, wow. Um, and just a bit more background, I used to work for them for 19 years as well. So um, before coming to Microsoft, I was actually in Sage. So this is where I was saying that where I go deep on is maybe the vertical, which is the mid-market space. Um, and then I've happened to go deeper on the technology of five. So the one of the things that I think is really unique, um, you know, we're, we are going to talk about Sage today because there's some really interesting things that Sage has been doing recently. And 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 our journey with them is with Office 365 goes back quite a ways. I yeah. mean, I remember I've been in DX for a little over two years, I'd say. And I think almost as soon as I started, um, I was starting to have conversations with you. Yeah. Uh, but why don't you, um, at, at a high level? Tell us about maybe Sage 50C and, and, and kind of what like what's significant about that versus yeah. um, like maybe a, a, an, another type of partner integration we have. Okay, so Sage 50C is um, I would suggest is their their cash cow. It's it's their main accounting product that they have at a global level. Um, Sage 50C isn't just one product. So the Sage US have a Sage 50C version. The Sage UK, Sage France, Sage Germany, Sage Spain, all have their own versions of Sage 50C. So there is no single code phase. But what Sage 50C is, is the C represents connected in this particular case. And Sage 50 is, um, it's, it's, for, it's for small businesses who need to do accounting. So accounting, payroll, um, and some CRM capabilities there. Um, and Sage 50C is, um, predominantly, is a desktop product. Um, and in some cases, it isn't capable of being automatically lifted and shifted, for example, to the cloud. So there is no easy way for remote users to potentially use the desktop product. And what Sage wanted to do was look for a solution that allowed remote, connected users access information about Sage 50. So information such as contacts information, supplier information, and being able to do... Um, Quick transactions, be it invoices, be it orders, incomes, expenses, that kind of thing. Um, but they wanted to do that in a, in, a, in a fashion that didn't mean that they had to host a lot of services in a cloud. So um, we spent a while working with Sage on this, and they came back with quite a unique um, um, offering, which is building on the Office 365 platform. So as opposed to other companies that we work with, partners, what we tend to find is they'll build one add-in, and that's it. Or they'll build one add-in in, in Word and make use of the graphs somewhere else, but then don't join them together. Sage have taken a new route, and they're saying, okay, what we're doing now is building on the Office 365 platform. Underpinning, basically, their work to get to their data, they're using OneDrive and Excel. So they're using OneDrive online and Excel online, and then using the graph to be able to connect people to that Excel document in the OneDrive. And fundamentally, what's happening is behind the scenes is they're taking data from on-premise, putting it into the Excel document, using that Excel document as a backing store, having add-ins such as the Connect add-in that they created for Outlook, and they have a mobile app called Sage Capture as well, and use the Microsoft Graph so they haven't built their own APIs, they aren't having to host their own APIs to access that information from Excel. 
So there's, there's a lot that you just said there that I want to dig into. I mean, so, so at a high level, what I heard is that, that when a, a, a customer goes and becomes a tenant, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but is a buys Sage 50C, yep. Office 365 is bundled with Correct. that now. So yes. this is like a bundling. It's like it's a two-in-one type of thing. And I, without choice of a better word, uh, you, you said platform. Platform sometimes might get scary, but like Office 365 is like the fabric behind exactly. the scenes that's exactly. making a lot of this work. So, so, so without Office 365, a, a Sage 50 user does not get this connected experience. So they're, they're, they're bundled Office 365, a single tenant, um, with their Sage 50C offering um, to, to allow to surface this, this um, new technology to come through. And they have some great plans. Unfortunately, I can't talk about some of the things that they want to do. Um, even some of the things they've done today and they've announced um, is, is part of software, software painting to uh, um, you know, how they actually want to deliver the solution. So I can't go into much detail about that. Um, but yeah, it's it's great what they're doing in this space. So I, I wanted to um, I wanted to bring up a, a quick uh, note here. Uh, and I'm just gonna. I, unfortunately, I didn't find it. Let me let me find it now. Um, I wanted to just talk about um, some just general numbers uh, behind Office 365 because, like, one of the first things when I heard about this is like, you know, I, I think people are gonna be like, well. Well, why why would you do that? Like, why why would you bundle it with Office three sixty five? And one I think is like when you talk about like the sweet spot for Sage is you know that small to mid sized yeah. company where like this this makes more sense. A lot of these companies are looking for that kind of comprehensive thing that like delivers like all, all components. Yeah. So I mean this this is this is one of those examples where we've delivered many um, envisioning sessions where we talk about why people would use Office 365. And Office 365, in this case, it's, it's the client that I would suggest a lot of their customers are already using. I would suggest the majority of them are already using Outlook. So what they're doing is they're um, providing functionality in Outlook for these particular connected users. So that those users don't necessarily have to go and download and install Sage 50. The other great thing is obviously that they're getting Sage 50 working on a tablet. Well, they're getting Sage 50 working on the devices once we support those areas, such as iOS, such as Android, such as UWP. Because those add-ins, when we could support, will work and therefore provide the data on those devices. So they're getting a lot of that for free, if that makes sense. There isn't a, they haven't had to go and create a new client app, get it into the store, download from the store, and so on. And so I'm just looking here. These statistics are about a year old. Um, this is right around build last year. But if you look at like our earnings report, we just had an earnings earnings report last week. Um, like like we continue to have just incredible growth in our cloud platform. So these these are probably way higher than they even are in here. But I'm just looking. We have more than fifty thousand small businesses added to Office 365 every month. Yeah. 50,000. Um, we have about 600 million, I'm not, sorry, 60 million monthly active users um, on Office 365 commercial. So, like, like, that, I think, hopefully puts in perspective, like, what this opportunity is. You look at Sage being, you know, we call them a global ISV, but they also sell their software around the globe. Exactly. Um, and have customers around the globe and, and so, match, like, kind of matching that up with 
the user base of, of potential, those, those small businesses, all these users that are um, already active in Office 365, it's a pretty compelling scenario. Yeah. And all those extensibility stories that we talk about in Office, they're now available to new developers of Sage 50. So Sage 50 developers will now be able to create their own add-ins and hopefully access the same data using the same techniques that Sage are using today. That's very, very neat. And I think that, that idea of, of uh, making the extensibility available to others is, is such a powerful technique. Definitely. So, like, what you you mentioned some of the different areas that probably kind of the, the two big ones that I heard were well, kind of hooking in behind the scenes to things like OneDrive and Excel. I think that's really unique. We've had a lot of discussion around the Excel APIs and even talking about using that to some extent as as data sources for certain things. And they, it sounds like they're certainly taking advantage of that. Yeah. Um, I heard some things around Outlook. Like, what a, can you expand so, so a little yeah, bit so on they, some they of the areas? So they have an Outlook um, connector or an Outlook add-in they've called Sage Contact. Um, Sage Contact basically takes an email, checks the email sender address, looks up that email address within their own system. If it finds it exists, it brings through information from Sage 50 directly into the Outlook. So that somebody actually sending the email, reading the email, has direct access to the customer information there and there. If the customer doesn't exist, they actually give the option of creating as well. So this isn't just a one way. They actually allow you to create customers. And using the same technique, they push those new customers, new contacts, back into Excel using Microsoft Graph, which are then picked up via the desktop application on an appropriate time scale. So they're not just doing read-only, they're doing pushes as well. And this is such a key part of office development, keeping the users in the context in which they're currently working, rather than trying to make them change context or, or forcing them to change context to do something which is related to what they're currently doing. So if they're in an email which asks about an order or about a, a, the status of, a, of an account, having that information in the context of the email is so much more efficient than having to go off and look that stuff up in some other system, which in this particular case is Sage. Yeah, I mean, and, and as part of that add-in as well, they get the opportunity to see, okay, when was the last correspondence that was person? When was the last payments they made? And so on. So they're getting a full view before potentially they need to ring the customer. So they've got everything at hand. They haven't had to go into a Sage 50 product. As such, they've got everything there at their need. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, like, that con like I think to, to uh, Coty's point is, sometimes I think we even get we have people that are critical of Microsoft because it feels like we have like duplication of capabilities sometimes in certain areas. But, um, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, we, we really truly want people to work where they're comfortable. And so, you know, taking, taking something like this, a scenario that's like context, contact based, like CRM based, yeah. you know, being able to put that, not only is it natural to have that with email, but it's, it's probably where a lot of these, these users are most comfortable. They're probably spending a lot of their time right there in that, that inbox. Yeah, yeah. So from a, a development standpoint, you know, I know that you've worked with a lot of their developers. What is, what's their primary development platform? Are they a mixture? Are they a so, yeah, it's a, it's a mix. Some of it's proprietary code. Some of it's .NET code. Some of it's C++, dare I say it, code. Some of it's C. Um, the work that they've done with this, though, it, it's all been JavaScript, Node.js. So they've, they've embraced our new, our new modern app building techniques within Office 365. Um, and, and it's simple web apps and simple requests, HTTP requests, 
directed to the Graph API. So they've been able to take skills that they already had in the team. They had a great skills of JavaScript um, and just reuse those skills and create quite an appealing model. I think that's very, very neat. And the idea that you can that you have this this skill base to do uh, to do Office Dev is also one we've been talking about for a while. But uh, it's really coming to coming to, to its own with uh, with an example like this. Do you, do you can you share maybe some of the highlights and lowlights of trying to achieve this type of integration? So, so I mean, one of the, in the very first things was that the graph, the Microsoft graph, our graph wasn't mature at the time. Um, we were doing. We're trying a lot of new things. I mean, the Excel REST APIs, for example, and we weren't even actually in beta. I think we believe they were in alpha at the time. So there was a lot of battling to and forth, going back to the, the engineering team saying, this doesn't work, or we'd like it to work it this way, um, or could you add this feature, please? This would help us go in. So there was, um, there was quite a lot of to and fro between Stage, DX, and then uh, the core engineering teams of, of Microsoft Craft to get this to work. The actual add-in building was probably quite straightforward, but there was the, the usual gotchas that we see all the time, such as the authentication. At the time, we didn't have the dialogue API. They were using the pop-up window. Pop-up window didn't always work in a single-page application, which is the direction they've gone in. So um, there was a lot of, um, let's say, redoing, testing, redoing of those add-in at the very beginning. So it sounds like it was pretty common. I don't know, Coatsy, when, you, when you're often working with partners, you know, it, I'm guessing you hear some of those reoccurring themes like, you know, we make off too hard and, you know, how do you, how do, you do it naturally and things like add-ins and things like that. Is that. Are those some of the similar things that you hear? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think the, 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 the key thing is that, that we're listening to those, those, questions, those, those uh, comments and building things that, that, that help people do the, the, common, the common activities. Yeah, so the, the dialogue API that um, Richard mentioned, that's a, that's a really good example. Although you don't have to use it just for authentication, yeah. um, it, uh, it's certainly a compelling scenario for use of that. And, you know, pop-ups were the uh, initial pattern, but, you know, pop-ups aren't going to work consistently across all different types of devices. It certainly, for the most part, was pretty solid when you used it on, a, like, a PC um, and a Mac, but, you know, if you start looking at some of the different device things, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a most phone or tablet type of operating systems can have a single app at one time. There's not this concept of like, like multi, uh, well, not easily multi apps. And so, you know, how, how what's that experience going to be when it pops you into a browser application and then how do you get back to office? And so, you know, I think that we've, um, the, the dialogue API was a, a good answer to that. And it sounds like, in general, and in this, I, I don't want to get the expectations of our all our listeners out there that this is the type of um, high-touch engineering, uh, I guess, treatment that all, everyone no. gets. It's, it's not that we were giving Sage um, a s- special attention um, as much as they came with a really compelling scenario, exactly. and, and we wanted to try to, as best we could, make that possible. Exactly. Right. I mean, and, and another one of the lowlights I would suggest was that we had a lot of rounding around the permission scopes for some of the, um, the graph and endpoints. So, you know, and having to have SharePoint permissions, 
to do some in the groups, for example. Um, and, and that, unfortunately, they, they had to keep them in until the very end because we had to get another team involved to help that out. So there was, you know, hopefully a lot of the pain points that Sage had, we've now sorted for other people to do and use correctly. Um, obviously, the highlights, I mean, the highlights, is that they, 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 they've got this integration done. It's been a great story. I think it's quite unique what they've done. Um, I think there was, a, there was a, a lot of thought in the team when they originally came with the idea that, you know, is, is this really what they want? Why not they do something on Azure instead? Um, once we've explained why they couldn't, um, they got it. The graph team got it. And they, as I say, they went away and helped build this. And it's been a great story in terms of, dare I say, that one Microsoft that we always try to hear about. Mate, talk a little bit more about the, some of the unique challenges they had, because they had some requirements to be on-premise and not entirely in the cloud. Um, and in this particular case, the on-premise was that their data is on-premise. Right. So they, they, haven't, they can't shift that data easily to the cloud. Um, and that was the, one of the key reasons why we've gone through this solution. I and mean, that's probably one of the main reasons. Um, so there wasn't, um, there wasn't the capability of moving that data easily to the cloud. So thus, this back-in-store idea with Excel. So does that provide, like a, a, in a sense, like a, I, I want to check out some transactions and they kind of exist there temporarily and then? Um, no, I think it's, it's more around the fact that, you know, you've got some, a lot of static information in your system, such as you know, things like customer supplies. They don't often change that much. Okay. So they want to have those in this, 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 this back-end store so they can easily be grabbed. Transactions are slightly different. Um, you can't edit or amend a transaction. You always create a new transaction. Right. So when you create a opposing site to an invoice, for example, you don't delete the invoice, you create a credit or a payment or something like that. So in terms of those transactions, they did do that. Um, and again, they're using this time, the, think of Excel as a, effectively a queue now rather than a database. So those transactions are coming in, sitting on the Excel document, and then taken off by the desktop when you um, so I guess another like interesting thing I, I would have is is and I don't know if you how candid you care to get here but um, like what, what did what did Sage find lacking in our our if, as they look to use us as a platform you know I, in in some cases when there's a big opportunity like this engineering will help as they can but there's areas where they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, that's just a, a bigger impact thing. We'll evaluate it, but you're not going to get that anytime soon. So, uh, so the, 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 initially there was quite a lot of that. So engineering says, you know, we can't do that. Um, but I think as, as they realize that the partnership that they, we have with Sage, um, from a Microsoft Sage relationship, they saw the benefits and they saw what they were trying to do actually would benefit other people. So, for example, the graph team got, you know, quite a lot of testing of their graph at the particular endpoints. So that was testing that they weren't going to get necessarily from another partner because this was still an alpha and beta stage. Um, so I think the graph team recognized that. Um, as I say, the, the, the add-in side of it, there, there really wasn't that much that we needed the engineering team to do. It's, it's really about that graph. Um, and there were certain things that the graph team weren't even looking at. So, for example, when you do a filter, Filters don't don't return back the response filter, so they had to they added a new request for visible view, which is now part of the of the, um, the the Excel REST APIs, which allows you then to get the data once the filter has been applied to the Excel document. So this is something that wasn't originally there in the, in the roadmap, and the engineering team put in specifically to help save their needs. And hopefully, other partners will run that.
Yeah, so I, I you know, I again, just kind of pointing just to set expectation, I do want to say that, like, for our listeners, that, like, if they have similar things, I mean, they're welcome to, you know, shout out to me and Coatsy, but where this gets a lot more, um, we're, we're low people on the totem pole, where, where this really gets a lot more visibility is things like um, user voice, so you can use user voice as a mechanism yeah. for, you know, putting out a, a feature enhancement and, and get the community to help kind of vote that up. Um, and in a lot of cases, these probably map to user voice things. Exactly. So some of this stuff was on the radar. Yeah, and and the Sage did use user voice. They used Stack Overflow, and they did raise their questions because they, they, you get great response from the Stack Overflow because it's engineers who are watching that page. So um, yeah. I actually want to amplify that point, particularly if you reach out to me and Rich. Make sure that you've got a link in user voice or Stack Overflow that you can point us to, because that way we can we can help amplify that that standard method of of, of communicating with the uh, with the engineering teams. It works it works so much better than just reaching out to us or just reaching out to someone else. Making sure that you've got that that process in place, uh, so we can uh, we we can point at that uh, at that public link. So, so I think this is all great. Um, what I really want is uh, our listeners. We'll have some links in the show notes that yeah. that point to some of the the PR releases around exactly. what yeah, Sage yeah, is doing. Point. You know, as a developer, you know, some of it's going to look like like marketing, architecture type stuff. But I think there's a really unique opportunity for developers to go see, you know, how. Uh, a, par- a big partner that looked at building something so integrated that it's a bundled solution, like some of the different things that they're doing, and maybe it'll it'll give um, our developers some ideas and some of their own own things. So, uh, Richard, super thanks for being yeah, on the thank show you today. Very much, it's been great. Thank you, and thanks for all the awesome work you've been doing uh, in the UK and your support on YouTube, Coatsy. And thank you for not mentioning the cricket. <laughs> No worries, Rich. I'd love to chat to you, even if it is from afar, and hopefully we'll catch up for a beer again soon. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.